Good to have everybody here this morning. And uh, it's a change of seasons, changing of weather. Hashem is blessing. And it's just a time of miracles. I so wanted to, uh, to do a, a quick teaching on the month of Kislev yesterday. And, but um, it's, it's, it's Erev, it's pre- prep day, it's uh, Erev, it's, the days are getting shorter and there was a lot going on yesterday, so didn't quite get to that. But I, Bezrat Hashem, will get to that soon and very soon. Yes, Bezrat Hashem, we will get to it, right? Hallelujah. So it's going to be a, a wonderful, wonderful blessing. I want you to know about this month. And so we're going to get to it. Baruch Hashem. Today we're going to be looking at Parashat Toldot. I've titled uh, this message, The Stolen Blessing. We're going to be looking at particular insights into Yaakov seemingly deceiving his father. And some insights into that that we want to glean and, and take note of and learn, I hope, some valuable lessons. So let's begin as we dive into our study. Let's begin with our blessing that Hashem should open up our hearts and we should be able to understand and comprehend and put into practice what we learn. Amen. Amen. Blessed are you, Adonai, God, King of the universe, who has sanctified us with his commandments and has commanded us to engross ourselves in the words of Torah. Please, Adonai, God, sweeten the words of your Torah in our mouth and in the mouth of your people, the house of Israel, may we and our offspring and the offspring of your people, the house of Israel, all of us, know your name and study your Torah for its own sake. Blessed are you, Adonai, who teaches Torah to his people, Israel. Amen, amen, amen. I wanted to begin by giving a little word of encouragement uh, to all of you, and, to, and I think most people probably do this already, but in case there's people that... Don't you know every every or Monday through Friday, I have the uh, the Aliyah day, the daily Torah study, Amen. and and uh, we are are in theory we look at the Aliyah of the day and we do insights and on occasion we go in different directions or whatever. But I just want to encourage everybody in our community, those who are on, on the, in the online community, those who are here in in house. To to um, to watch the or watch and or listen to the Aliyah day, Amen. we have it on YouTube, of course, and it's recorded. Where it's live at nine thirty Central Standard Time, but um, but then it's recorded. You can watch it anytime, and it's also on podcast. So after the fact, you can go and pull it up on podcast. Um, and the reason I say that really is is simply because there's so many. Um, I, 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 so many foundational truths that are kind of, they, they're built upon each other. Yes. They're building blocks. Yes. And to, for all of us to stay in corporate unity of what Hashem is teaching us corporately, because uh, Rebetzin and I have tried very hard, particularly this year, uh, this, this last you know, year and, and now starting this new year, uh, to really stay in tune with Hashem's timing and His voice and what He's saying through the, the, the Sidra, and, and how he's speaking to us. And it, there's just such great information. And if you don't listen to it regularly or if you skip uh, a day or a week, then you can find yourself seeming out of sync uh, with everybody. And we don't want to do that. We want to try to be in as unity as possible and learn what God is uh, showing us. Because it's, so many of these precepts 
build upon each other, and we learn some really fundamental things. Um, so let's look at this power, this power shot told gold. We're going to look at chapter 27 of the book of Genesis and begin this very peculiar situation because we have Esau, we have Jacob. They are twins. They're paternal twins. They don't look alike, but they're definitely twins. And the elder twin is Esau. He is supposed to get the blessing. And Isaac seemingly wants him to get the blessing. It doesn't make a lot of sense. We've, we talked about this on the Aliyah and some of our human frailties or what have you. We're going to look at a spiritual reason why he might want Esau to have the blessing. But um, unbeknownst to, to Isaac and perhaps unbeknownst to Rivka, Esau has already sold the blessing. He's already sold the blessing to Jacob over a bowl of stew. It wasn't even beef stew either. It was just lentil stew. The best beef stew on the planet is made by the Rebbe No offense to any of you other folks out there. I'm sure that your beef stew is awesome, but I have to say that my wife's is the best. It's the lamb, it's the, it's the lamb stew that she makes too. Is right, Burgershem. But uh, anyway, it wasn't even. It was just some lentil stew. And evidently, evidently Esau forgot about it too. He forgot that he sold the blessing. But Jacob, um, perhaps Jacob wasn't sure if that transaction was legitimate or not. But nevertheless, his mother, Rivka, overhears the fact that his father is about to bless and he, she wants her son to usurp. And so it says here in, ver in chapter 27, And it came to pass. When Isaac had become old and his eyes dim from seeing that he summoned Esau, his older son, and said to him, my son. And he said, here I am. He said, now see, I have aged. I know not the day of my death. Now sharpen, if you please, your gear, your sword and your bow and go out to the field and hunt game for me. Then make me delicacies such as I love and bring it to me and I will eat so that my soul may bless you before I die. Now, I want to pause there and, and share an important insight that you can find right here in your Humash that asks the question, why did Isaac require something uh, good to eat before he gave the blessing? Now, I j often joke about this, but this is kind of, kind of half kidding. But sometimes, talking about my wife's beef stew, she'll fix uh, some kind of meal. That's real Texan. She'll prepare a meal. <laughs> And uh, it'll be something that, you know, one of my favorites, right? And there's, there's several. And, and I just, I'll, I'll say, honey, that is so good. I'm about to prophesy up in here. <laughs> I'm about to break out and start dancing, doing the dance. Oh, that's so good. Well, there's some, there's some Torah truth to that. There's some Torah truth to that. It says here that Isaac's wish for food was to satisfy his bodily appetite so that physical needs will not interfere with his spiritual bliss. The prophetic spirit can rest only upon someone who is in a state of joy. This is from the Talmud Shabbat 30 and verse B. So the reason Isaac wanted something special to eat, something like he told his son, you know, you know what I like to eat, you know what my favorite is. I want you to make my favorite so that it gives me a, a state of joy because we can only hear from God and speak the word of God if we're in a state of joy. This is why depression is from Hasatan, curse be he. When we're down in the dumps and we're, life is no good and it's not going to work out, 
Hashem, excuse me, the Satan wants to keep us there. He wants to keep feeding that, no pun intended, because he doesn't want you from, to hear from God or to be able to speak the word of God. This is why think good and it will be good is so vital. One of the reasons why it's so vital. Because when we think good and we, we say it's going to be okay, even when you're looking at a really bad situation, it's going to be okay. It's going to be okay. It's going to be okay. You know, there's a reason why uh, we were taught, and I'm, I'm not a medical person at all, but uh, the only EMT type stuff I've ever had was in infantry school. And we were taught, and I, know, I, know, and I think this would hold true for people that have been through EMT, formal EMT training or whatever, uh, but in infantry school, we had to do the, uh, the part where how do you render triage to your buddy who, who's gotten hit or wounded. Part of it, a big part was just to let them know you're going to be okay. You're going to make it. No matter what. No matter what's going on in their life at that moment. And uh, you're going to make it. And why was that so important? Because it's important to impart positivity to someone who is in a very dire situation. Because if you look at them and go, man, it looks really bad. I'm like, that doesn't look like it's going to, whoo, that may not heal. They're probably not going to make it. But if you say, hey, you're going to be okay. You're going to make it. We're going to pull through this. It gives them the courage and the strength, no matter how desperate the situation, to say, you know what? We are going to make it through this. So it's important to be able to prophesy that out, no matter what's going on. So Isaac needed to be in a state of joy. This is, by the way, the sages say where Jonah got the spirit of prophecy. Jonah was at the water drawing ceremony during Sukkot. And he was dancing and going crazy and prophesying and just having a, just having a wonderful state of, of joy. It's a, it's a most joyful festival. And the spirit of prophecy fell upon Jonah and God said, go to Nineveh. That was a buzzkill for Jonah, but for a lot of people it would have been... A great time. So it says uh, in verse 5, Now Rebekah, Rivka, was listening as Isaac spoke to Esau, his son. And Esau went to the field to hunt game to bring. But Rebekah had said to Jacob, her son, saying, Behold, I heard your father speaking to your brother Esau, saying, Bring me some game and make me delicacies to eat. And I will bless you in the presence of Hashem before my death. So now, my son, heed my voice to that which I command you. Go now to the flock and fetch me from there two choice young kids of the goats, and I will make them of delicacies for your father as he loves. Now, incidentally, the sages point out Rebecca was not stealing because according to her ketubah and written into her ketubah, Part of her marriage contract was is that Isaac had to be sure and provide her at least two young kids of the goats every single day. That was part of her contract. So, Jason, make sure that's in the contract there. You've got to provide two kids for Amy every, every day. All right. Brukashim. I took Reverend Singh to, to Jerusalem one time. We were going through the Arab market, and she was negotiating. We, we, we were doing the, the barter thing. It was lots of, uh, lots of fun to do the bartering, actually. It's part of their culture, and, and it's, when you really understand it, you can get into it. It's pretty haggling. Hag, not bartering. I'm sorry, not bartering. Haggling. When you haggle over the price, it gets really fun to do that. The Jewish area, we don't do that. But in their area, that's, they like that. It's actually, you're supposed to do it. 
So <clears throat> I would at first I would just tell Rebetzine if you like something and you really you know want it, like you're not just looking at it because if you pick up anything, they will descend upon you and try to you know haggle you with it. So I said, give me like a secret a secret hand sign, like I like this or you know whatever you want to tell me. So I know that you want it, right? And if you tell me that you really want it, then I'll go into deep negotiation with the guy. We'll walk out like three times, but we're going to get this thing, right? So it, it was a lot of fun doing that and, and is in pretty intense sometimes. And then at the end of it all, we're all like shaking hands and it's good. And so she kind of started getting into it. So then we went into the shop and she decided, forget about you. I'm just going to haggle with the guy. So she starts haggling with him and she gets to the point where they, he, she gets him down to where he, she wants it to be. And he's like, he, he looks at me and he says, you know, you got the good wife here. And I said... Thank you. So I'll give you 100 camel for her. Before I said no, I asked what the value of a camel was. I wanted to know. Now I got a haggle now. So 100, 150 camel. How much is a camel worth? I wanted to know. But I th- actually, he did actually say that, and I think he actually was serious. So. <laughs> So he says, now go and give me these two kids, then bring them to your father, and he shall eat so that he may bless you before his death. Now Jacob replied to Rebekah, his mother, but my brother Esau is a hairy man, and I am a smooth-skinned man. Perhaps my father will feel me, and I shall be a mocker in his eyes. I will thus bring upon myself a curse rather than a blessing. But his mother said to him, your curse be on me, my son. Only heed my voice and go fetch them for me. So Rebecca tells him, look, I'm, I'm going to lay down my life. It's not you. It's going to be me. So as soon as Jacob heard that his mother was willing to lay down her life, he realized how critical this really was, how important this was. And he was therefore willing to go along with the scheme that she actually had created. Before we go any further in this, I want to share an insight as to why, why Isaac would even want to give this blessing to Esau knowing that Esau was not of the two he wasn't the most righteous and this is very insightful because it tells us when you have a very godly person like Isaac and he's looking at his two sons and he sees one who's man really really leans towards darkness the other one who seemingly is just always studying Torah and seemingly never doing anything wrong but he doesn't ask God or whatever if it's okay to bless Jacob. He, he wants to bless Esau. So the, the Kehot Humash brings down this insight. Um, Isaac, he said, it says here, wanted to transform Esau into a penitent. So one of the reasons was that he wanted to give Isaac, or excuse me, Esau this blessing is he wanted him to become Balchuba. And he was thinking, if I give him the blessing, maybe he'll understand the gravity of it and turn. Then it says, since he knew that, as the sages tell us, penitence can reach levels that even the completely righteous cannot. See, this is, we, we've said this a lot, but it's something that we have to really get down in our spirit. All of us here, frankly, are sinners saved by grace. That is a Jewish concept. Some of us have gone, have fallen into 
pretty deep wells of sin. Others, maybe you feel like you haven't quite gone all that far, but we've all guilty of something, but some of us would say, yeah, but I've gone deeper. And the religious-minded, the, the, I, say, I say religious-minded, but really it's, it's the fake religion, that the self-righteous-minded would say, well, all of us are sinners, yes, but if, you're, if you've hit the bottom of the barrel, you can come up, but you'll never be as high as me because I've never done that. As it turns out, it's the, quite the opposite. The lower you've fallen, the higher you will rise. That's the paradox of sin in God's world. You say, well, how is it, Rabbi, that I've fallen so far and how can God ever use me? Are you kidding? That's the exact person he loves to use. More than anything. And that's what the sages say. They say that the, the penitent person, and why is that the case? Why is it that somebody who's a penitent, meaning somebody who's about Juba, somebody who has fallen low, 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 but when they hit that face on the pavement, they immediately said, God, I need you. I, I, want, I, want to come, I want to claw my way out of this life. I want to get rid of this way, and I want to come back to you. And the reason is because that very fight, that fight against the darkness, that getting, breaking free of the addiction, breaking free of the whatever it was that you needed to break free of, that breaking off relationships that were destructive, that fight that you had to fight to get close to Hashem, the, 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 the righteous one never had to fight that fight. All they do is watch the MMA, but they're never in the octagon. It's different when you're sitting out there eating, eating the popcorn saying, man, you ought to hit that guy. It's different when you're in the octagon. God blesses the one who's willing to get in the ring. So there's a paradox. We shouldn't try to sin. That shouldn't be our goal. We shouldn't say, well, I need to sin then, and then I'll bounce back. No, don't do that. Don't do that. But just understand, if you have fallen prey, Understand that you can rise even higher than someone who's never fallen prey. Now, the penitent's hands-on experience with the forbidden realm and the depths to which it plunges us drives him to pursue holiness and divinity with a thirst that cannot be matched by someone who's never fallen so low. Listen, when you, are, when you have fallen so far away from God... And then you come back to God, your zeal for the things of God is, is, is like the Incredible Hulk. It's unstoppable. And see, Isaac saw that potential in Esau. He saw in Esau, he saw in Esau, <laughs> something, someone who had fallen very low, who had the potential. He's basically saying, man, if, my, if that one son of mine who has been so wicked, if I could ever get him on fire for God, he'll change the world. He'll change the world. He's been so zealous for the things of evil. If he would just become zealous for the things of God, he would overturn tables and bring people back. Unfortunately for Isaac, Esau didn't make that choice. The problem with Esau is he hadn't become about Juba. He never conquered that that wickedness of his, unfortunately. And so Rebecca, because women tend to be on a higher spiritual plane, they just tend to naturally live there. It's not fair, but they live there. 
Women are born circumcised. That ain't fair. But it's true, though. So let's begin. Jacob obviously wanted the blessing. He, he bought it from his brother. He had, and by the way, I should mention, some of you know this already, but not only did Esau sell his blessing over a bowl of red lentil stew, but that stew was the stew that Jacob was making for his father Isaac at the funeral reception for his grandfather Abraham. That was comfort food that he was making for Isaac. So his grandfather Abraham had just passed away. Isaac was in the, was in the state of Shiva, the state of mourning. Jacob was making him stew to bring to his father to comfort him from mourning the loss of his grandfather Abraham. Esau, meanwhile, was out killing somebody and came in from that murder in order to attain something we're about to find out what he was looking for and didn't even care about his grandfather Abraham, didn't even care about the, the feelings of his father Isaac, and he just wanted some, a bowl of that red stuff. That was, that's how he disdained the covenant. And Jacob, I'm sure in a bit of holy outrage, was like, man, you, just, you hate this covenant so bad, you're wanting, you just want a bowl of this stew that is set apart for our father. I tell you what, why don't you sell me your birthright? And so it says here in the Midrash Rabbah to Toldot, uh, chapter 63, Saman 13. And Esau said, look, I'm going to die, so what use is this to me, a birthright? Now, I want to pause right here. And I want to step on a toe or two. Unintentionally, but intentionally. We can read this right here. Okay? And it's so disgusting to us. Esau said, look, I'm going to die. So what good is his birthright to me? He's like, I don't even care. I'm just, I, I'd rather have the bowl of stew than I would the covenant. I, I'm lusting after that bowl of stew. It smells good. Mm, that smells good. I'd rather have, who, who cares about the, 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 the particulars of the mitzvah? Just give me that stuff. Come on, I need, I need to eat right now. I don't even care. How many times have we said, in the past, or have others said, I, I don't care about any of that Torah stuff. I, 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 I'll never give up bacon. I don't care about any of that Torah stuff. I just, I got it, I got it. I got to have some chicken Alfredo. Forget about that kosher eating. I, I don't care. I, I, no, no cheeseburgers as a Jew? No, I'm out. I'm out. I'm out. No more shrimp cocktail? What do you mean? It's the South, baby. Catfish, fry, that's just how we live. Have you not heard the word etouffee? Uh -oh. Buna? Who that? 
But see, we read a passage like this, we're like, oh, Esau, he's such a wretch. And yet, we disregard the covenant just because we want to eat a water burger. We're, we're turning away from the covenant of God over a happy meal. And we say to Esau, Esau, you're such a fool. And God says, excuse me? Separation meat and the dairy is that hard? Y'all act like you're, I didn't say y'all, but we act like it's, we're getting our legs amputated. Because we can't have some chicken alfredo. It's like you tell somebody, you can't have shellfish anymore. Have you ever looked, by the way, to see, and this is not a berating on kosher eating, but just, just a wake-up call, because we're looking at Esau selling the covenant for a bowl of stew, and we get real pious about that, and then we start talking about our menu, we're like, well, Rabbi, don't, don't talk about my menu. <laughs> Have you ever looked at the, what the fish you can eat compared to the fish you cannot eat? The fish you cannot eat is like this long. The fish you can eat is like this long. If it has fins and scales, it's for dinner. But we don't have shark, and you can't have eel, and you can't have octopus, and you can't have squid. Right? You can't have seal. You can't have lobster. You know that crab is spiders. That's from the spider family. They are, literally, sea spiders. Can't have those. And we look at that stuff, and we're like, man, I can't have that. And it's like this little bitty thing, this little, this little list this whole buffet, God says, have whatever you want. And we have this little bitty list of stuff we can't have. We're like, oh, man, can't have that. Don't be an Esau. Right. That's the message. So it goes on to say here, the Midrash explains why Esau was going to die. It says another explanation is this, or another, another exposition is this. Esau uttered the words, look, I'm going to die. Why? Because I just killed King Nimrod and his people are seeking to kill me. And the reason I killed Nimrod was seeking to kill him on account of Adam, the first man's garment. The garment was very special for when Esau would wear it and go to the field. All the beasts and the birds of the world would gather around him. Now. This is very important because this comes into play later when Jacob gives Joseph the coat of many colors. The coat of many colors was not a coat that he made, but it was actually the coat that was given, made rather by God and given to Adam. This is important because Joseph wore the coat. I'm getting ahead of myself here a little bit, but Joseph wore the coat given to him by his father's. This is why the brothers were so jealous. He was wearing the coat of Adam. And then what did the brothers do? They threw him in the pit. They took the coat. They dipped it in blood. And they showed it to the father and said, is this not the, the coat of your son? Looks like he got eaten by some animals. Isn't that sad? Right? The brothers, the brothers betrayed the brother and made it and, and then tried to blame it on the animals. This is why the scripture says when the Mashiach comes, he'll be wearing a vesture, what? Dipped in blood. Why? Because his brothers will have betrayed him and blamed it on somebody else. 
And he's wearing, the, and the Messiah, therefore, is wearing the coat of who? Adam. Why? Because he's the second Adam. So it says in the comments of this, the image of all the animals and birds in the world were woven onto this garment that God made Adam, by the way. This attracted all the animals and birds to come join their friends. So, in other words, it goes on to say that through wearing this coat, it had a special anointing. Understand, the coat's made by, by Hashem, okay? And so the, the coat has anointing, and through wearing this coat, Adam had power over the animal kingdom. Nimrod got a hold of this coat. How do we know that? Because the Midrash brings down, and the book of Yasher also testifies, that when Noah got on the coat, he didn't give the, coat, the clothes that God made Adam and Eve to goodwill. He actually took them on the ark with him. And then when he took them on the ark, after they got off the ark, Ham stole them. And then Ham ended up passing them down to Nimrod. And that's one reason why Nimrod became such a powerful king. And he was known as a mighty hunter. Because he had power over the animal kingdom. It's probably where the Tarzan legend comes from. But anyway. So, so Esau was a mighty hunter. Esau was also nobody to be messed with. Esau was a very powerful man. Nimrod was a very powerful man. But apparently Esau was more powerful. And so he killed Nimrod. And he took the coat of Adam because Esau didn't care anything about the fact that God made it. He just wanted the power of it. Because here is another example where we don't need to be Esau. Many people seek after the power of God, but not the responsibilities to God. We want the blessings of God, but we don't want any of the commandments of God. We just want to have power over the animal kingdom, but we don't want to have control over this animal. Before we can wear the coat of God and control the animals out there, we've got to take control of the animal in here. And subdue this animal, which is... What Rebbe Singh just said, we got to work on our Musar. So it says here, the garments are, had unique powers. They were imbued, it says here, I won't read the whole inside, but it, they were imbued with the, 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 the power of God. And that's what Esau wanted. He wanted those, those garments because he wanted that unique power. So um, Esau went out, it says here, he went out to, to get game for his father. Again, Esau's issue was all he wanted was the blessing. Now, Esau, he didn't want the covenant. Again, we just said that. He didn't want the responsibilities of the covenant. He didn't want anything about it. He was very inward focused. He just wanted the blessings. Just want the blessings. Right, And so he was willing to do whatever it took just to get the blessing. So it says Esau went to the field to catch game to bring. Now the Midrash Shabbat says in chapter 65 and verse 13 again, and he went out to the field. Now Esau's intent was that if he found suitable game, that that would be fine. He'd bring it. But if not, his plan was to bring meat 
from stolen animals or even animals that had, had died. Why? Because he just wanted to bring his father something. He didn't care if it was kosher or not, or if it was even legal, because he didn't care. His, he, he didn't care about his father, really. He just wanted the blessing. He just wanted the blessing. And Esau, or excuse me, Jacob saw in him, as, as the Midrash interestingly points out here, when Jacob referred to Esau and said he's a hairy man, my brother's a hairy man. The Midrash takes that word and looks at it because it's very similar to the word for demon. And it says, when Jacob referred to Esau as Ish Zair, he was describing his brother as a demonic man, as it is stated, and the demons, She'irim, will dance there, as it says in Isaiah 13, 21. It says... Now, this is interesting because this is where we've got to be careful in talking about Musar. What he saw in his brother is that my, my brother is a very demonic type man. Why is he saying that? And it says here in the footnotes, because he is prone to anger and destructive and his behavior is therefore characteristics of demons. When we have a character trait where we are uh, just a hot-headed, uh, angry-type person, we are therefore acting like demons. This is why the sages say anger is such a bad mida. It's something we have to really, really work to control. Because an angry person, as we just read here, is like a demon, a demoniac person. And an angry person also, the sages say, is like, a, uh, like an idolater. Why? Because if you're angry, then the world, it's all about you. And so you have to be careful about being angry. And people say, isn't there such thing as a righteous anger? Yes, but even that you have to be careful about. Because sometimes we try to mask that with, you know... Uh, as an excuse for our anger. So just a reminder, again, that Musar is critical. And a lot of times, and this is where a lot of people will make mistakes, and so if you're new, you're watching, you're in the house, and you're new to this way of life, you're just embracing it, a lot of people will, understandably, want to dive right in and start getting on board with the mitzvot, whatever they may be. And that's, on the one hand, good, although we always caution people, take it slow. Just like I wouldn't tell somebody, as our daughter Brooke was laughing about, because she did this, I would not tell somebody, hey, go to the gym and, and just work out every body part as most intense, in the most intense fashion you can. And you've just started. You're going you're gonna to walk out like you're, the next day or two, you're going to be like you just were in a car wreck, right? That's not the way to get started. Right. Same thing in the spirit realm. But I would also tell people that, you know, what's most important about your Taurus, Torah keeping and the, and the thing, the mitzvah, the most important part is getting your musar right. You, this is why Yeshua said you've got to clean the vessel. The outside looks great, guys. 
But the inside, I can see it, and it looks terrible. First, clean the out. He didn't say, stop doing everything. Most Messiah didn't say that. Messiah didn't say, hey, stop eating kosher, stop keeping the festivals, stop even doing a lot of the traditions you do that aren't necessarily mitzvot, but they're just fine, like hand washing and stuff like that. He, he never said, stop doing that. That's not what he said. A lot of people say that's what he said, but that's not what he said. What he said was, Clean the inside of the vessel, and then the outside will match. That's right. So this is why we've got to really make sure that we clean the inside, that we're pure of heart. Right. Now, another thing I've said, this is a wonderful insight here I just want to share with you, because Rebecca said, let the curse be on me. And I pointed out last week, we were talking about the uh, Alma and the virgin birth, and I pointed out before that Adam was a type of virgin birth. And I know some people have said to me, yeah, but he wasn't literally. It was not the literal thing. Literal, literal. Well, you know, spiritual isn't always literal like we think. But I mentioned in the Zohar how the earth was called the Mother Earth. That's where the pagans get the Mother Earth concept. They didn't make it up. They can't make anything up. It comes from this incident of Adam being born. And so the Midrash Rabbah says this. Rabbi Abba Bar Kahana said, Rivka um, countered by saying, when she said, let the curse be on me, this is what she said in full. When it, when it was Adam who sinned, was it not his mother who was cursed? As the scripture says, a curse is the ground because of you. So too with you, Jacob, your curse will be on me, my son. So she actually points back to Adam and say, when Adam sinned, where did the curse fall? It fell on the earth. Why? Because the earth was his mother. So when the spirit of God came upon the earth and gave birth to a Son, that was a supernatural virgin birth, according from the rabbinic point of view. Now, what's important about that, just as an aside, is not so much the literalness of that, but rather the precedent that it sets. It sets a precedence that there's such thing as an immaculate conception. Yes. Okay? Now, going back to Adam's coat, it says here, so Rebecca then took her older son's Esau's coveted garments, which were in with her in the house. Now, this is an interesting thing because when it comes time to dress up Jacob to look like Esau, to go in and, and, and deceive basically his father. He do, she doesn't go to Esau's tent and get his clothes. Notice the scripture says she goes to her tent to get Esau's coat. What is Esau's coat doing in the tent of Rivka? And it says here, the verse describes that clothing which Esau coveted from Nimrod. So we're, now we're talking about the coat of Adam. Nimrod had taken these and, and he, he, excuse me, Esau had killed Nimrod and had taken these garments. Thus it is written, a wicked person coveted spoils for evildoers. Our verse states that Esau coveted garments which were with Rebekah in the house. 
the garments were in Rebekah's house because with them Esau would attend to his father. So in other words, Esau, whenever Esau went in to, to, uh, to serve his dad for any reason, okay, he would put on that coat. And so he wore this coat of Adam whenever he went in to, to attend his father. And it was frankly a good thing because he was trying to show his father honor by putting on the most regal garment he had, which was the coat of Adam. But it still doesn't answer the question, what is it doing in Rivka's tent? And the answer is, Esau had many wives with whom he could not have left this garment and yet you say, which were in, the, in Rivka's house, okay, in other words, he had lots of wives, why couldn't he just leave the garment with them? And the answer is, because he knew that his wives uh, were basically what their deeds were. These were pagan women. In other words, he did not trust his wives with the garment of Adam. <laughs> so men, marry well. Marry well. Now, just moving quickly through these, some of these insides, we move later in the story. Jacob comes into his father. As it says here in the Midrash, 65, 18, and Jacob came to his father and said, Father, Jacob said to his father, it is I, Esau, your firstborn. The Midrash brings down something interesting here because in the Torah, normally when you say I, it is I, you say Ani. But in this point, at this part, it says Ani, Esav, Bekodek. So I actually, instead, it says Anoki Esav, Bekodek. Jacob actually says Anoki. It's a very unique word, Anoki. It, it's, it means also I, but it actually is a word that is generally reserved for the Holy One, Bus Be He. It means, it's actually an acronym that says, I wrote myself down in the Torah and gave it to you. Amen. The first time we really see this, not the first time we see it, but one time we see it that's the main, that understanding, gives the understanding of it, is during the giving of the Ten Statements on Mount Sinai. Right. So the Midrash says, Rabbi Levi said what Jacob meant was, I am destined to receive the Ten Commandments, but Esau is your firstborn. So it was like this cryptic thing, he was saying, Anoki? In other words, I'm actually Jacob who's destined to get the covenant, but Esau actually is your firstborn. So it was in a way he was telling his father the truth at the same time deceiving him. It's a very interesting phenomenon that's going on here. So, moving on with the insights just really quickly as we're looking at this very interesting story. It says that... He's wearing the coat of Adam. And Isaac is listening. He's hearing the voice of Jacob. He's feeling. He's feeling hairy arms. How does he ultimately decide if this is the one that he's supposed to bless or not? So it says in the Midrash Rabbah, 6522, so he drew close and kissed him. He smelled the fragrance of his garments and blessed him and said, See, the fragrance of my son is like the fragrance of a field which Hashem has blessed. He wasn't talking here about the field 
like out there. He said, this is the fragrance of a field that Hashem has blessed. So it says in the Midrash Rabbah, Rabbi Yochanan said, there is nothing whose stench is as foul smelling as the hair of goats. Pretty stinky, okay? And yet you say he smelled the fragrance of the garments and blessed him. Notice that Isaac didn't go by sight. I mean, he's blind, so he really can't go by sight. He didn't go by his hearing. He didn't go by his feeling, and he couldn't go by taste. So how was he to recognize if the person in front of him was worthy of the blessing? The same way the sages say that the Messiah is going to see if we are worthy of the blessing. You're not going to be able to fool the Mashiach by your sight. You're not going to be able to fool him by what you taste like or what you feel like or what you sound like. There is one way the sages say the Mashiach is going to know whether you're his or not. And it has to do with your fragrance. The question becomes, what do you smell like? And by the way, there's only one fragrance we get to have. And it's the fragrance of the field that Hashem is blessed. What's the field? And it says here, Rabbi Yochanan said, There is nothing whose stench is more terrible than the goats. But you say he smells good? But the explanation is that when Jacob, our patriarch, entered his father's presence, the fragrance of the Garden of Eden entered with him. Thus Isaac said to Jacob, See, the fragrance of my son is like the fragrance of a field which Hashem has blessed. Now, the question becomes, it says here in the footnotes that this fragrance is the fragrance of the field of apples, which is a name given to the Garden of Eden. Now, the question is, how did Isaac know what Garden of Eden smells like? How does Isaac know what the field of apples smells like? And the answer is, given by the sages, when Isaac laid down on the altar, which, by the way, is out on Mount Moriah, where the temple was and will be soon in our day, amen, that is, ladies and gentlemen, the Garden of Eden. And the sages say when he laid down, he was enveloped with the fragrance of Ganadin. And that fragrance never left his Senses, And when Jacob walked in and he was wearing that coat, this didn't happen with Esau. But when Jacob was wearing the coat, all of a sudden it gave off the fragrance of the field that Hashem had blessed. And when Isaac smelled that, he said, I smell the smell of the day I laid down on the altar of God and offered my life in, in pursuit of the covenant. And whoever is standing before me has that same smell on them. And when we have that fragrance in our life, when we're willing to lay our life down, I don't care what it takes. Whatever it takes to be close to you, God, God smells that on us. And you can't fake that. You can dress up like a Jew. You can sway like a Jew. You can say Hebrew like a Jew. You can do everything like a Jew. But you better smell like a Jew or he's going to cast you out of his tent. This is, it goes on to say in the Midrash Rabbah, when Esau came in, he smelled like Gehenna. Esau smelled like Gehenna, but Jacob smelled like Ganadin.
Now, I just want to conclude. I'm going to wrap it all up with this because we, we, we hear about Jacob and he's smelling like gone and in. You say, well, Jacob, man, Jacob, of all the patriarchs, Jacob had the hardest time. Jacob made some mistakes. He made some errors. You know, some of it was his fault. Some of it wasn't his fault. But he wasn't perfect by any stretch of imagination. But to, to go back to what we said in the very beginning, that the, the, the Baal Teshuvah can rise higher than the one who's never sinned. This is what the Midrash Rabbah says. There's a story. I don't really have time to tell the whole story. But basically, the, 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 the abbreviated version of the story is that during the time of the Romans had conquered Jerusalem and they're getting ready to destroy the temple, they found a Jewish man. They said, go in there and steal something from the temple for us. So he went in there and he grabbed the menorah and brought it out. And they saw the grandeur of the menorah and they, they initially they told him, go get it for yourself. But when they saw it come out, they took it for themselves. And then they said to him, they said, now, I'll tell you what, we're going to take that. But you go get something else for yourself. But the man had a moment of teshuva. When he came out, he realized the big sin he had just committed. And he told the Romans, he said, no. I've angered God once. I'm not going to anger him again. They said, we're going to kill you unless you don't go get something out of that temple. He said, no. You'll kill me, but I'm not going to sin against God again. I did it once, but I won't do it again. They killed him. But he became a great Zadik, a great martyr. But you say, wait a minute. He just stole the menorah out of the temple and gave it to the Romans. Yeah, he did. But he also saw how wrong that was, and he made Teshuvah to the point of death. And because of that, he became a great Zadik in Jewish history and said, wow, here's what it says about that. This is the, about the life of Jacob. He could smell like a field, and yet it doesn't mean you're perfect. Why? Because it's the garment God made you, not the garment you made. So it says here, the masters of Musar teach that a man, listen to this, it's very important. We're going to end it here. The masters of Musar teach that a man does not achieve greatness in spite of his failures, but rather because of them. Rab Haim Shulmitz says, the reason this is so is that the primary hindrance of spiritual growth is a person's comfort with his level of service to God. A person who has acted a certain way for some time finds it difficult to appreciate the value of improving. Furthermore, it becomes increasingly difficult for him to feel enthusiastic about the mitzvahs that he's been doing by rote. A person may thus drift along for years and even decades without being inspired to improve. However, a man's abrupt descent to a new depth of sin may succeed in shaking him from his sleep. And at that moment, as he surveys the deplorable state in which he finds himself, that these earthly pressures have brought him, he finds the will to climb out of this mess. The fall itself may be the thing that provided the impetus for rejuvenation. So when this man, Yosef, was told by the blasphemers to go and take something else, he said, I have angered God, I will not anger him again. And thus it is fulfilled what the psalmist wrote, were it not that I fell, I would not have risen. And were it not that I sat in darkness, Hashem would not have been a light unto me. From the depths of sin, 
I succeeded in ascending to the heights of self-sacrifice. Hallelujah. 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 Think good and it will be good. Hallelujah.